in the early service, commands to continue, and this morning we're going to look at another one of these things in which we are to continue, and that'll be in Acts 14. Now, I preached from this passage recently dealing with missions, and we looked at the pattern for missions. That is not going to be the emphasis of this morning's message, but rather looking at the phrase, to continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. Quite interesting how many are not continuing in the faith. Now, we kind of equate that, and it should not be, but how many are leaving the church? By the way, that is a problem that has been going on long before COVID. Matter of fact, years ago, Ken Ham wrote a book about young people leaving the church and why they're leaving the church. Now, over the last two years, we have had another mass exodus of the church, and I blame many of the churches for their own problem. You cannot close down for a year, year and a half, and expect people all of a sudden to decide to come back to church. But we're not talking necessarily just about church attendance, although that is part of our faith and and part of what we believe and part of what we should be doing. But people walking away from the faith, walking away from God. So let's look at these verses, and then we will discuss continuing in the faith. Acts 14, 21 through 23. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the, the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So let's start by defining faith. Hebrews 11 tells us, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is a great definition of faith, but when it says the faith, to what is it referring? All right, well, I looked up the Webster's 1828 dictionary, and I love his definitions. He only has, I think, uh, 12 definitions of faith. His first one is belief, the ascent of the mind to the truth that is declared by another resting on his authority and veracity without the evidence, the judgment, that which another states and testifies is the truth. I have a strong faith or no faith, a testimony of a witness or what a historian narrates. So if Stephen were to say the building's on fire, if I were to leave the building, it'd be because I have faith, even if I didn't see it, I have faith that what he said is true, right? I have a mental assent that I believe he has no reason to lie to me, so I'm going to follow that, okay? That is not a saving faith, but it is a definition of faith. I'm not going to read all these, but let's go down to the third one. He says, in theology, the ascent of mind of understanding to the truth of what God has revealed, simple belief of the scriptures of the being and perfections of God and of the existence, character, and doctrines of Christ founded on the testimony of the sacred writers is called historical or speculative faith, a faith little distinguished from the belief in the existence and achievements of Alexander or of Caesar. So it's interesting. He talks about a faith that says, I believe God. Well, James talks about this. The devils believe and tremble. 
It's no more than a mental assent that, yes, God exists. I believe that. There is a Bible. I believe that. Unfortunately, I believe this is how many define their faith. Oh, I believe God. Do you have faith in God? Sure, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a man named Abraham Lincoln. I believe those things. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's nothing more than just an acceptance of that fact that there is a God. Okay, now how is that different from this next definition, which he calls evangelical justifying or saving faith? Well, he says this is the ascent of the mind to the truth of divine revelation on the authority of God's testimony, accompanied with a cordial ascent of the will or appropriation of the, uh, 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 of the heart and entire confidence or trust in God's character and declarations and in the character and doctrines of Christ with an unreserved surrender of the will to his guidance and dependence on his merits for salvation. In other words, the firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. Now, that's a little wordy, but wow, that's a great definition. When you stop and break it down, he's saying it's not just a mental ascent, but it is also a ascent of the will In other words, you're acting on this faith. You're putting your trust in Christ, trusting him completely and nothing else. You see how that's different than the first definition of just a mental ascent, God exists, I believe God, versus I not only believe, but I believe what he said is true to the point that I'm going to act upon it. Okay, but is this giving us the definition of the faith that is being talked about in this passage. So when it says that we're to continue in the faith, well, what do I have to do to continue to be saved? Nothing. Okay, so is this what Paul's talking about? All right, then let's continue on with our definitions. So, the faith of the gospel is an emotion of the mind which is caused, uh, which is called trust or confidence exercised toward the moral, moral character of God and particularly the Savior. Next definition, faith is an affectionate, practical confidence in the testimony of God. But I believe this is the one we're looking for right here. Faith is a firm, cordial belief in the veracity of God and all the declarations of his word or a full and affectionate confidence in the certainty of those things which God has declared because he has declared them. Believing God because he said so. That's faith. That's the faith. And so then, what does that entail? Well, then, that's not just the fact that I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me, but it means that God said that I am to walk by faith. I'm to trust him day by day for my daily provision, for my safety, for my living, for my strength, for all things, that everything in the Word of God is true, that I am to be a student of the Word of God, that I'm to know the doctrine. Now, by the way, that's another thing we're commanded to continue in is doctrine, so we'll study that at a different time, Lord willing. Okay, but the point being is the faith is the whole of everything God has told us to do and we believe and do, right? That is the faith. So continue in the faith means continue to live Christ-like. Continue to follow him. 
continue. And by the way, isn't it interesting, as Paul and Barnabas are going to these churches that they are confirming the souls, they're commanding them to continue in the faith, they're establishing elders, and they're moving on because these churches now are grounded and able to continue. And who's going to guide them? Now, yes, Paul did keep in contact with them, but who's there every day to guide them? Their local pastor, yes. The Holy Spirit is there to guide them every day. And Paul realized that he's entrusting them into the care of the Holy Spirit. By the way, we do well to learn that as pastors and as parents, and that God will do what he has promised. All right, so there's the definition. Let's move on now. As we see that we're to continue in the faith, we are to dwell or continue. Again, the idea continue, uh, continue, remain, to stay. So let's go back to verse 21. And when they preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they taught them. And that is part of the Great Commission. Yes, we have a responsibility to lead souls to Christ, but once we have new converts, we have a responsibility of teaching them and grounding them in the faith. That is why we're going through this whole series in Sunday School, and the book Continue is to show you a method to use to help somebody learn the basics of the Christian life. And then it says they confirmed the believers or established them, strengthened them. And then they teach them to continue in the faith. So look again in verse 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Now the word exhort is a Greek word parakaleo. Kaleo being the verb to call. Para being the preposition to alongside. So it's to call alongside. And you hear that in the word parakaleo, same way, uh, root from which we get paraclete, one who comes alongside. And so exhort them to continue in the faith. So it's not just, okay, I taught you, now go do, right? Now, yes, I just said Paul did entrust them to the care of the Holy Spirit, but Paul also came alongside them and showed them and continued to be an example to them And by the way, that is how we are to be an encouragement to others, is not just say, well, hey, do as I say, not as I do, but to live an example that they can follow, to come alongside them and show them what it means to live in the faith. Colossians 2.6 says, You therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him. So how was I saved? Well, I was saved by faith, right? For by grace he is saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I'm saved by faith. So in the same way I was saved, I am to walk. Now why is it, it seems like we have an easy time trusting God with our eternity, but we have a hard time trusting God with our today? If I can trust Him for eternity, can I trust Him to take care of today? So should I not be walking by faith in the same way that I say I have faith that when I die, I'm going to be eternally with Christ. I should have faith that God is going to provide for me today. And when we Christians do not live that faith, 
the world looks at us, and no wonder they say there's so many hypocrites, because you say you trust God, but what I see in your life doesn't show it. Faith is our victory, John says in 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? I was just talking with uh, the bets right before service, saying, you know, why is it we celebrate Christmas all throughout December, but it seems like we try to limit the resurrection of Christ to just one Sunday a year? We should be rejoicing and celebrating the resurrection of Christ every day. The fact that I have and serve a risen Savior gives, shows me that he already has the victory over death and hell. You do realize our enemies are already defeated. Jesus Christ already has the victory. So why don't I live victorious, living in faith, trusting him? He already has the victory. And I can live victorious. You do realize, Christian, you and I can live victorious day by day. Faith is our victory. I understand sometimes situations in life can be discouraging. But Christian, let's be victorious. Let's live victorious. So, this week, Big Bear Baptist Church was established. The first night of meetings, from my understanding, they had eight first-time visitors. Second night of meetings, I think it was two. Third night, with the snowstorm, they had one. And I don't know what the last night was, how many visitors they had, and also each night repeat visitors coming back. Now, some may say, well, that's not a whole lot. All that work, and they only got maybe a dozen people or whatever. Folks, let me tell you something. Let's stop putting numbers and putting, the way, putting success according to what the world says. Because God rewards faithfulness. And you know what's going to be exciting? To get a report from Jackie today, now that all the big meetings are over, and this is actually their first Sunday with the real church services, how many showed up today? But you know what? If it's five or six, we should rejoice with them. Because this church has been here numerous years, and look around, it's not like we have a huge crowd either. Continuing in the faith brings a soundness. Say, so what do you mean by that? Well, let me read this verse first. Acts 3.16, verse 15, And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him, hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot not that through ignorance he did it, as also your rulers, but those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. So, this soundness, it says, given him a perfect soundness. You and I, as we trust God, are not going to fall apart as the world falls apart. It is amazing to me how everything, so many, and I'm not trying to pick on them, it's, it's our fault, our generation's fault for the way we reared our young people, that everything is so emotional. Every decision they make is based on emotion, and everything that goes right or wrong is all emotional, 
whether I'm happy today because things are going well or things are going bad today, badly today, so therefore I'm sad. And when they come to a crisis situation, they don't know how to handle it. They just sit there and melt down and fall apart because they're basing everything on emotions. Would you agree that there are many young people that that would describe today? Is there a soundness in that? No. Now, I'm not saying we do away with our emotions completely, okay? But sometimes we've got to look at the facts and just grow up and deal with what is before us and put away all the emotions. What I mean by this is, okay, try to think of an example here. If you were driving down the highway and you would get a flat tire, what would you do? Okay, stop and change it. Now, to the credit of many of the young people, their parents never taught them how to change a tire. So now, put your place, put yourself in their position. So now you're sitting alongside the road, you got a flat tire, but you don't know how to change it because your parents never taught you. Now what you gonna do? All right, you'll call dad or mom. That's a good call because they should have taught you how to do it anyhow. That's a good call. All right, what do we see some of them doing? Kicking their vehicle, sitting in the car crying, sitting there having a meltdown, posting it on Facebook because I don't know what else to do. I'm being serious. There's all these resolves to get it done. No, Ed, that would be an actual resolve. Call AAA. They won't do that. They'll sit there and they'll say, I wonder what I should do to all my friends on Facebook. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be cruel but I have seen this happening. Now, a reasoning mind would say, I'll change the tire. Oh, I don't know how to change the tire. I'll call my dad, because dad will show me how to change the tire, and he should have taught me anyhow. Dad's at work. That's not going to work. I could, you look it up on YouTube. I could call AAA, but see, that would take reasoning. It would take a soundness of mind to not fall apart in a situation and think it through, how do I come to a solution in this? We have not trained younger, the younger generation how to do that. And so they sit there and they just fall apart. It's like, get yourself together. You, you think I'm exaggerating, but I have seen this happen numerous times. And the blame lies on us for not teaching them how to think processes through and how to have a sound mind. But I am glad, Christian, you and I, that is not, should not be a description of us because God said he's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. In other words, God is going to give you the ability to stop and think this situation through, and how do I come to a solution? How do I resolve this? By the way, it's not just young people, and it's not just those type of situations, because I will promise you, as an elected official, there are numerous times that I hear my colleagues say, I feel. Well, this makes me feel like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like the way it makes me feel. Well, if it's the right decision, I don't care how you feel. And let me tell you something. Sometimes the right decision is not easy. But let's 
stop basing it on feelings and start basing it on a sound mind with sound reasoning, biblical principle, and that may mean sometimes you're left making a hard choice. But do it anyhow. Continuing in the faith requires obedience. Acts 6-7, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now I'm glad that obedience is not required to maintain my salvation. Aren't you? But when we consider the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which Lord willing, we're going to look at in detail in the morning service today, how can we do anything else but be obedient to what he has commanded us to do in response? Be obedient to what God has for you to do. But going back to Acts 14, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much Tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Through much tribulation, there is going to be hard times. There is going to be trials along the way. So we're to dwell in the faith, but let's talk now about what we see happening today and maybe, Lord willing, some of the ways in which we can help remedy what we see happening, and that is a departure from the faith. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain, from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Aren't you glad that verse is there? We can eat meat. Hallelujah. But seriously, many are leaving the faith. How is this happening? Part of it is because we have given our children over to the world. You say, oh, pastor, not me. Listen, I struggle with the balance between pulling out the light to where there is no light left and it's only darkness reigns and the carefulness that we have to guard our children in who's educating them and what they're being taught. I know some good parents who had their children in the public school system. And let me tell you something. They spend copious hours trying to unravel everything they're being taught all day long so that their children can be a light in that darkness and learn how to deal with the darkness. That's a choice of parents. I'm not here to judge and say that it, one method is right for all. But I will say this. The public school system is not teaching our children any longer. They are indoctrinating our children. They are indoctrinating them with humanism. And let me tell you, it starts when I was in public school in third grade in science, we had to start learning that you tell the age of the fossil by the rock layer it's in, and you tell the age of the rock layer by the fossils that are in it. And we had to start learning all these 
different layers of rocks and different fossils and different dinosaurs that lived billions of years ago. And I remember this in third grade, and that was back in the 80s. I promise you that has not gotten any better. Recently was in a meeting with the Coastal Carolina Taxpayers Association where they did a big investigation, yes, here in Craven County, of what our kids are being taught in their sex education class. And let me tell you something. First of all, that's not the school's responsibility. That's mom and dad's job. Number two, the filth that they're teaching them would absolutely disgust you. It should. But it all goes along with this whole gender fluidity garbage that you don't know if you're really a boy or girl. By the way, had a young person ask me one day, I'm not sure if I still should be a boy. Right here, folks, it's happening. We have gotten so far away from God in the education system, and they are indoctrinating kids. Now, here's, and I'm thankful for each of you that work with our young people teaching them. But let's not get lost into teaching them stories because what happens is if we're not careful, here's, here's where church, part of where churches have gone wrong. We teach the Bible as long ago and far away. You could almost start the Bible story with like that in the way we teach it to children. Well, what else starts with long ago and far away? Fairy tales. Fairy tales start off long ago and far away. So when we use these drawings and we put it up there long ago and far away, there was a man named Adam and he had a wife named Eve. Do you understand that we are guilty of teaching it in such a manner that we're teaching it as a fairy tale and then wonder why the children treat it as a fairy tale? We've got to be careful that we start from day one in teaching our children that we help them understand that God is the creator, God has spoken, these are actual historical events of real people, real things that have happened in history. Because I promise you the school's not going to hesitate to tell them that that book is full of fairy tales, and when you treat it as a fairy tale here at church, you just gave credence to what the false teachers are saying, Right? I remember when I was working at Walmart, I met people who were Wiccan. I met a guy who was raising up some Nordic religion, and he was a high priestess of it because it made him, whatever. I'm not even going to get into the details of it, but it was a wicked pagan religion, and he was a self-appointed high priest of this religion and everything else. And I don't remember whether it was him or whether it was one of the Wiccans I was talking to. I said, what church did you grow up in? And like, what makes you think I grew up in a church? Because I had seen that so many that are involved in these pagan religions grew up in churches that were teaching them long ago and far away. And then in their mind, full of hypocrites, full of people who will sit there and pretend like they're worshiping God on Sunday or worshiping God on Sunday, but then they would see how they would act the rest of the week, or they'd see mom and dad at home versus mom and dad at church and see zero consistency in people's lives. Now, I understand that that is a lousy excuse. I saw hypocrites at church, okay, because the same people will still shop at Walmart, and I've met many of them there too. I get the idea, but here's the difference, is we claim that we're one thing and live another in front of them, and the young people see it. 
Do you understand this is why it's important every single one of us believer lives a consistent life in front of, you say, I don't have any children in my home. It doesn't matter. There's children in this church watching you. And there better be a consistency in your life. Because do you want to be the one they point the finger at saying, see, there's the inconsistency. Now, listen, I understand we're all imperfect human beings, but we can have the victory, right? We can continue to live an example. And you know what? If you fail and you know a young person saw your failure, be man or woman enough to go to them and apologize. Yeah, because actually they'll gain the respect back as opposed to try to hide it, as opposed to try to act like it didn't happen. Oh, you're just too little. You don't understand. No, they understand fully. But we have this departure from the faith. Now, some claim that they have this greater intellect because of science. As I was saying earlier, when I was in third grade in the 80s, they were already teaching us that evolution is true. It was taught as fact back then. And it's still taught as fact today. No credence given to any other possibility of education or, or any other origin. It was interesting, when Mike was serving in the house, I had many discussions with him, and we even had a bill written. Well, I helped him write the bill, draft it, and we submitted it to the writers, the bill writers, and what they kept sending back was nothing like what we were trying to get proposed, and ended up missing the deadline and never got submitted in time. But basically it was called Academic Freedom Bill, and here was the idea behind the bill. I understand... We're not going to get to a point where the schools are going to teach creation again. I understand that that is a long way off if it ever happens again. But here's what I wanted. I wanted the schools to be forced to give credence that evolution is a theory and there are other theories including intelligent design. Now some may say, well that wasn't going far enough, but here's what I wanted. I wanted a bill that forced the teachers to say, and even if they're going to continue on teaching the evolutionary theory, there are other theories of origins, including an intelligent design, so that it would put a question mark in those students' minds. That was the goal of the bill, to at least put a question mark in their mind. Because you do realize there is no question mark put in their mind right now. That would have been a victory, but it didn't happen. So... And I have been told this. Nobody with any intelligence could possibly believe that these worlds were just spoken into existence by an intelligent designer. And I'm sitting there thinking there's nobody with any intelligence could think that this just shake and bake happened. Because of this intellectual, scientific, which, by the way, for the last two years we've been told not to question the science. Anybody remember scientific theory? What's the very first thing you do with science all the time? Question it. You quest always question it. Right? But now we're told don't question the science. We're smarter than you. You're too dumb to figure it out yourself. Good thing we're here to help you. But the young people being indoctrinated in this are not like you and I growing up that were taught principles of freedom. Because you do understand, even in the 80s and 70s and when most of us were in school, while things were changing, 
They weren't able to take everything out that was good at all at once. And you and I, in, in some of the, and I did end up going, by the way, in uh, fifth grade, I started going to Christian school and finished up in Christian school, okay? So I was in public school for kindergarten through fourth grade, something like that. I don't know. I have to go back and go by duty station, you know, and all military brats know how that goes. The indoctrination of the schools, it started slowly, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, more and more progressive, because I do remember even in public school, and then especially when I switched over to Christian school, being taught principles of freedom, being taught how to reason, being taught critical thinking, being taught how to take a problem and solve it, right? That's critical thinking. That's problem solve. All those things that people are not taught today. These things are not being taught to children. It's all how to think. It's what to think. This whole process now, though, is becoming more and more complete to where young people don't understand when we say, no, you might want to question that. What do you mean question it? The expert said so. Why would I ever question the experts? Now, I'm belaboring this because I want us to understand how to deal with young people. I'm finding, and I'm not quite even 50 yet, I'm finding more and more of a disconnect from the younger generation because the way their whole thinking process is totally different than what I was taught when I was in school. And, and we're going to find this greater and greater disconnect unless we take the time to investigate what are they being taught so I can understand how their mental processes are working. It's not that all the young people are stupid. They're being indoctrinated by garbage and it's affecting every area of their life. And their whole thought processes are completely different than yours and mine because of, wh of what they're being taught day in and day out. And even if they are in a Christian school and if they are homeschooled, which I believe the curriculum is going to be much better, we're still dealing with their friends, their peers, the social media, the TV, and all this other filth that is in bombarding them day in and day out. Our time is running out. But I want us to continue, Lord willing, next week at looking at this departure of the faith and understanding how then do we help reach this younger generation? Let's close with a word of prayer.